All right. Um, those lights will be getting a little brighter here in a minute. But uh, this morning, again, we're going to still be taking a break from our study in Acts. Um, I hope to pick it up uh, in two weeks in January. This week, we're going to have another topical message and next week as well. At least that's the plan anyway, but you know how that goes. Uh, this morning, uh, the title written down on, on the paper here is called My Father's Business. Um, I was also toying around with the idea of what child is this, uh, if we looked at a little different area of scripture. Um, but Christmas, you know, how was it? You know, it's, it's soon forgotten. We were talking about it before, but I think uh, I'm already getting ready to take down the tree. I'm already planning next week. We'll see what happens if I take down the tree or not. But to get get it going, Christmas has come, it's gone. I think we... We soon forget it. It comes so quick, and then by the time it happens, we're ready to kind of move on and get on. And, you know, next next week will be New Year already, um, 2016. That's kind of crazy. We were talking at work the other day about how fast things have gone. And I remember being uh, in grade school at some point and looking out the window and writing 1992 or 1993 on the paper and, you know, thinking about the future and thinking about other things and what year it was. It just... I have this vivid memory of that for some reason just stuck in my head. I don't know why, you know, you remember certain things, but you do. Um, you know, Easter will be here before you know it, the death and resurrection, really the finishing of the work of Jesus. But I think for Jesus, the man, the reality of it, uh, we miss it sometimes. We definitely miss it sometimes. I know I do, maybe uh, myself more than more than others. But uh, you guys know this scripture, John 1, 1 through 5. And uh, we may read some scriptures we read again last week, but I think that uh, if we're going to go through this study, it's going to lead us down a, a path to see the Lord and, um, and uh, you know, in a very surface way. We're not going to get too deep in a lot of things today. But John 1, 1 through 5 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. You know, the world doesn't comprehend who Jesus is. Um, I was watching a video the other day. It said, Merry Christmas. And the guy was talking about how he's Jewish. And, you know, he likes the gift-giving part of Christmas. And I think the world likes the gift-giving part of Christmas. But they don't want to call it Christmas anymore. They want to call it holiday. And, you know, we talked about these things so we're blue in the face. But really, man, um, people, we don't know who Jesus is. That was one of the things I remember um, considering before we moved down here was like what is really the purpose and what is really the Lord trying to accomplish um, you know not necessarily just through us or even through us but in this area that people would come to know him I mean when we went to church um, Christmas Eve night it was nice to pass all these large churches on the same street and maybe I'm not used to that being from the north but maybe it's a sign of the Bible Belt where we have all these churches and there's even a, a synagogue which was cool but man what were they celebrating was even in these services where we sing these Christmas songs over and over and over, do we miss Jesus? Are we just kind of singing them, you know, because they're in our heads from walking through the mall all day? I don't know. I don't know. But, um, you know, Jesus' birth was foretold. Genesis 3, like we looked at about the, the, the seed of Eve would crush the head of Satan. But we also see in Isaiah 6, um, it says, For unto us a child is born, Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end, upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. 
the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. That Jesus, Jesus' birth, like we talked about, wasn't like any other birth. It was foretold. It was something important that was coming. Um, you know, like the birth story we read last week in Luke and how we have birth stories and how, you know, we can all remember when our kids came into the world. Um, but, you know, I was uh, in coming up with the idea for the the message and praying about it and reading scriptures and considering where to go. Do we go back to Acts? Do I do something else? I really thought the Lord was leading me um, to really kind of speak about the Lord and, and about Jesus particularly. That just because we had Christmas um, this week doesn't mean that we can all of a sudden have to stop talking about Jesus and have to stop talking about the time of his birth and those things. Uh, because again, I think we get into this habit of, oh, it's only this day and then as soon as the day passes, we can't talk about it. But you know, I was waking up a few times last night and just considering these things and considering, you know, what do we really think about Christmas and what do we really put the emphasis on and how, you know, even the fact where, not that it's necessarily a bad thing, but Christmas has become, in some sense, about the kids, like where we would rather buy more gifts for our kids and for each other sometimes as parents. And, uh, you know, our grandparents came down and I think they bought everything on Amazon. I don't know how they fit in the car, you know, (laughs) like there were so many gifts for the kids. We have pictures. It was such a blessing because it's nothing that we could do. You know, then we have my parents and my brother and our family. They just blessed us so much with so many gifts. And it was very humbling. But then it's also like, well, <laughs> we're going to have to start getting rid of them because we don't have room. But that's a blessing. But if that's all it is, if it's just become about kids and in a sense almost idolizing childhood and idolizing youth and bringing gifts to youth, it's still like has this echo of when the Lord was born and they brought gifts to the Lord. But Man, what are we thinking sometimes when we do these things? Are our goals, are our mindsets that like we talked about going into debt to give gifts? Is it really, is that really what the Lord was would have us do at Christmas? And again, not that there's anything wrong. I'm glad that people showed their love for us and our kids and our family um, by getting us gifts. And I wish and I hope and we plan next year to maybe hopefully set aside more money that we might bless others with more gifts. You know, it's 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 this. You know how it is. It's this struggle. But then it's like. Well, really, what is the emphasis? And, you know, these things um, are the weird things that keep me up at night, I guess. But uh, after that, you know, Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew tells us uh, about the King Jesus. You know, the first part of the chapter gives us his genealogy, um, you know, where he came from. And today, again, we're going to look at a lot of scripture and hopefully the scripture will do more talking than I will. But we're going to pick it up in Matthew chapter two to start today. And we're going to jump around to a few areas of scripture. Matthew chapter 2. You know, again, each of the Gospels kind of has a, a slightly different picture of the Lord, and, and Matthew definitely focuses on the kingship of Jesus. And let's read the first 13 verses here together. In Matthew 2, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of King uh, Herod the king, behold, the wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? And this is probably going to be very familiar because it's similar uh, from other areas of Scripture we probably read recently. But, For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod, uh, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. And we know that's not really what his intention was, but 
When they heard the king, verse 9, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. I'm sorry, we'll stop there, verse 12. But these wise men, you know, they came from the east, was it? Um, China, India, Iran, they were, you know, maybe these regions, they were magicians, astronomers, astrologers. Um, but really, think about uh, all the intelligence of these societies back in the day, um, where they did study the stars, they thought the meaning came from the stars. You could even, uh, you know, the signs of astrology is wicked, no doubt about it, but there's some who might say in theory that the, the, the story in the stars was the gospel. Chuck Missler has an interesting uh, view on that, but not to get too deep in those things. You know, the fact that these guys are looking up, they are very intelligent, they do understand that there's things going on in the heavens beyond their control. And what do they see? They see this star that's pointing somewhere. And what do they know? You know, maybe they knew the scriptures. Maybe they had heard about Israel. Maybe they didn't. But God was speaking to them through what they were observing. They saw this star in the heaven. Maybe it was an actual star. Maybe it was a planet. You know, people have done studies and they've mapped out the stars and they've created computer programs where it can roll back and it can tell you what star is in what position on what date and, and so, so on and so forth. Maybe it was a real star. Maybe it was a planet. Maybe it was an angel. Maybe it was the Holy Spirit up there saying, hey guys, this way. I don't know. But God used this to bring them uh, to this area. To this area and this star had been up there for a few years we see that um it had been several years that they had seen the star so they had observed the star they had determined hey this means something special this means a king is about to be born and then they had made this journey uh to israel to israel and it had taken time and it had taken a lot of time and you know um you know it was perfect timing it was god's timing god didn't take the star out of the sky god didn't say oh you only got six months to get here they saw the star they followed the star and they kept coming. You know, they used their intelligence uh, and they saw God through that. And I think a lot of people um, in the scientific community today even uh, use their intelligence and they may not even be believers. And they say, well, all these signs, it definitely points to a God. All these things in creation definitely point to a creator. Maybe they haven't come to the terms that it's Jesus, but they're definitely going, well, these manly ideas don't add up. It has to be something greater. And, uh, and usually that's few and far between. And maybe these guys were the only guys who believed. Maybe their peers didn't believe uh, like they believed. But uh, in any event, it was more than three guys. You know, they brought three different gifts, but it was probably a decent-sized caravan of these guys making this trip. Uh, but we saw that angels appeared to the shepherds in the field to announce Jesus' birth. But to these guys, God showed up and used a star to point them in that way. Um, and I think that they were truly wise men, not because they were learned, not because, you know, they had these riches, but because when they saw the, the, uh, the reality, when they saw these things taking place in creation, in the universe, they realized that something bigger is going on. That when we look at the universe, when we look at creation, that there is a maker behind it all. You know, and I think, you know, as Jesus said, that it's a foolish generation who seeks after signs. I don't think that they were seeking after signs. I think that when they saw this sign, it was a godly sign. Why? Because it's in Scripture. But I think also because it led them to the Word. It led them to Jesus, which the Bible says is the Word of God made flesh. And when those signs appear around us in creation, and those signs lead us to the Word of God, I say that they are uh, from the Lord. I mean, he talks about 
all these end times going on. I remember getting saved. It was because I saw all the things that the Bible was talking about beginning to congeal and come together. And what did it do? It led me to the Bible to look at the Bible and investigate the Bible and the scriptures and want to know what the Bible had to say about what was going on. I didn't follow the signs. The signs led me to the Lord and God will do that in each of our lives. But in order to be truly wise, we need to to listen to them and what they're truly speaking about, not about our sign, you know, not about our future personally and how we can gain from it's ridiculous. You know, it's like they talk about astrology, uh, but like how some star somewhere will affect you because the day you're born, like somehow your mother's womb has this lead shield to protect you from the effects of a planet until the day you're born. It's just ridiculous. Um, but let's go on in verse 13. Uh, now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. And was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. So again, we see scriptures and prophecies being fulfilled in Jesus' life, even as an as a infant. Uh, verse 16 says, Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, that's great, was exceedingly angry. And he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. Now when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the young child's life were dead. Then he arose, took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. Oh, excuse me. Uh, coffee's coming back. But when they heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, uh, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. And again, we see here Joseph being led by dreams. He was led in a dream. An angel appeared to him, warned him, said, hey, get out of here. You know, uh, they're seeking your life. Hey, it's time to go back. It's time to go here. Um, I think that that's important that, you know, that if God were to speak to us in, the, in a dream or wake us up early in the morning and speak to us about something, that we, that we heed that, that we listen to that. You know, Joseph didn't have the, the benefit of having the scriptures necessarily by his bedside where he could spend devotionals and get a word from the Lord. But the Lord uh, warned him in these ways. I think verse 22 is pretty important because it says, When he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee. You know, he heard and he reacted to the reality that there was this guy here who wasn't any good and that it wouldn't be safe for them. And I think that sometimes we have godly fears about things and we need to listen to them and see God on those fears. You know, sometimes if we walk around in life and say, Well, God doesn't give us a spirit of fear and I don't need to be afraid of anything. Well, in a sense, that's true because we don't need to fear things that God allows in our life. But when we see something that's dangerous, we see something that could harm our family or could harm um, the ones we love or is probably an unwise decision, we should really seek the Lord before we venture out into it. Um, You know, there's plenty of examples in this, I'm sure, in all of our lives that, man, if there's a fear in us, sometimes that's God saying, hey, you know, you might want to watch out for that. You might not want to take that job. You might not want to go here. And I think that it's great that, that God used us in this way to say, hey, 
there's a wicked ruler. You don't want to go there just yet. You don't want to go just yet. And beyond that, God used it. God used that. God intended that. And God even planned on that. God knew this guy was going to be in power. Thousands of years, millions of years, eternity passed before creation even started. Um, and God knew that. And God planned on that. This is all part of God's plan. You know, he's sovereign. But we see these things bring more prophecy fulfilled in Jesus' life. And we remember those probabilities from last week. But a lot of the accounts, the gospel accounts, will give you very similar um, areas here. They'll speak more or less up to this point. But then they kind of jump ahead and they say, that there was this guy, John the Baptist, in the wilderness. And it really kind of jumps uh, 20 or 30 years later. So for today's message, we're going to skip back to Luke to get a little more picture of Jesus, uh, the little bit of picture we get of his youth, of his growing up, the one little snippet we do get. And it's Luke chapter 2, verse 39. And we're going to read a chunk of Luke here. And hopefully, again, let the scripture do most of the talking. But Luke 2, 39. So it says, When they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee through their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. You know, this grace of God was upon Jesus that they had, uh, you know, fulfilled the law. There was these prophecies given to Jesus when they went to the temple on the eighth day. But we see that grace was upon Jesus, and, and that word grace, you know, usually means favor. That God's favor was upon Jesus, and, and if and God's favor is going to be upon anyone, of course it's going to be uh, on his son. You know, uh, you think about the baby Jesus, and you think about these wise men coming to him. Um, you know, I think we get this romanticized picture, but picture a little boy not so much older than Jacob, and uh, coming to him and bringing him gifts, and bowing down and worshiping for this little boy running around, you know. Uh, that's kind of interesting to think about. Not that my Jacob is uh, Messiah, and I hope he does, never gets a Messiah complex in his life. And, you know, that song about uh, the baby Jesus laying down his head and never crying. I don't know if the Lord never cried. You know, I'm sure that he cried. I just, I, I don't know that he cried selfishly. You know, I don't know that he cried. Um, you know, like sometimes our kids, when they don't get what they want, they cry. When I don't get what I want, I cry. You know. These things that go on. I don't think the Lord was like that, but I think there's this reality that he was a little baby. He was a little boy. But God's grace was on him, and I think that that's uh, fantastic to know. You know, if Jesus needed God's grace, how much more do we? But let's go on to verse 41. It says, His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, so this is 12 years have passed now, or about 10 years have passed, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. And when they had finished the days, as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing uh, him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and saw him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, seeking him. Now so it was that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. I'll stop there for right now. He was 12 years old. Uh, bar Mitzvah, the age of manhood, I believe, is still 12 years old. Uh, they have the party, and it's basically when a boy becomes a man. Um, but these were different times. You know, they traveled in a big group and they traveled somewhere. They traveled to uh, Jerusalem. Um, 
but they left him there. They figured, oh, we haven't seen him for a little while. He's probably with his cousins. He's probably with his friends. You know, he's probably hanging out somewhere. He's okay. Um, you know, I remember growing up and riding my bike a couple miles into town or rollerblading or going to play hockey down the street all day and not coming back until the sun came down or, uh, you know, running around and playing things or riding my bike in my friend's house at night and coming back. You know, even 15, 20, 25 years ago, you could probably still do that and be okay, even though my mom warned me about lots of different things. And in school, they warned us about the blue van because there was this creepy blue van at one point. I guess it was someone had disappeared in it. Um, but these days, I don't know. I don't know. I'll never let my kids ride their bike a mile into town unsupervised, you know, even with the cell phone. You know, it, it's crazy. It's crazy. But different times. So they figured, hey, we haven't seen Jesus. We're heading back. He's responsible. He's probably with his friends. He's not, he's not a troublemaker. But three days pass. You know, a day goes by. They haven't seen him. He hasn't come back to get a change of clothes or his Nintendo or whatever, you know, he needed. But so they walked this day back. And it says three days. So then they walked the day back and it had to be at least another day where they're looking for him. You know, they say I probably looked everywhere. They looked at 7-Eleven. They looked at uh, down by the beach. I don't know. They looked everywhere. And they finally go to the temple. And this is where they find him in the middle of all these teachers. And it says that he was listening and asking questions. I think in a sense, you know, as much as God can learn in a body, you know, the Bible says they lay down his glory. Um, I don't know that he was necessarily learning, but I think he was more hearing what they thought about the scriptures and about what, what they would think of the scriptures and having a conversation with them and, and, and finding out what they knew to it than, than more about him getting knowledge. I mean, maybe he was, I don't really know how, how all that works, but it said that they were astonished at his understanding and his answers. So when these questions were raised and they would all kind of pontificate about them, I mean, you guys know when you have a, a small group Bible study and you all read together and you all share your questions and answers that people have different outlooks and God will speak through each of you. Um, but he had these answers and understanding that were just unlike anyone else. And even then, the fact that he's 12 years old at this time giving these answers. And I think about some kids in the youth group over the years, how much they love the Lord, their knowledge of the scripture and how they applied it in their lives. And coming to them as a, as a young person in my early 20s being a youth leader, and they know more scriptures than I do. I feel like they love the Lord way more than I do. They serve the Lord more wholeheartedly than I do. And I go, what can I even offer this child? You know, I should be discipled by them in a sense at some point. Um, but we think of that, that this, this young boy, even then at age 12, Jesus, knew the scriptures. He loved God's word. We see that Deuteronomy was probably one of his favorite books as a man. Um, but he says here that he had to be about his father's business. Didn't you guys know? Like, you know, I don't, I don't picture Jesus here with an attitude like a typical 12-year-old maybe. Why did you seek me? Like, why did you guys seek me? You know, but it was really, why did you seek me? Did you not know in this sweet, like, loving, godly voice, uh, I must be about my father's business? You know, Joseph was his uh, stepdad. Um, you know, we know from the scriptures that he was a carpenter or maybe even more accurately, depending on how you look at it, a mason. There's not too many trees over there. There's a lot of stones. Maybe he was more of a mason, uh, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, but that's probably about the time you would take on your father's business. You know, I was talking to a friend with, at work recently about this ideal situation. I think about, you know, when we work from home occasionally, when the kids are sick or when there's a snowstorm and uh, my daughter came in and I was doing something on the computer and she wanted to see what I was doing on the computer and I was showing her and, um, you know, just the thought of how much fun it would be to, to have a job where my kids could be a part of what I was doing and teach them how to do it. And, you know, the classical idea of a guy out in the wood shop making furniture and the kids learn and they apprentice and so forth, you know. Not that that's an easy life, but the, our society has changed a lot. 
you know, you work in a bank, you don't bring your, there's probably bring your daughter to work day, but there's not, you know, bring them every day, teach them how to do the books and count the money and, and all these things, you know, our society has definitely changed in that matter. Um, but it was probably about that time for Jesus to maybe begin taking on his father's business. We see that at one point he did that. He did that up until he was 30. But what he's saying here is that his father's business was, was more than some earthly vocation. That even at age 12, he knew that his father's business was to be about the scriptures, was to be being around people and bringing them to God. Um, you know, and I, I love it if my kids uh, had my physical vocation. I think that would be great. I see me a drawing and painting, and I want to encourage that in her. Um, uh, and I love seeing Jacob being very physical and wanting to fix things and put things back together, and I want to encourage him in that as well. But I would, you know, I would love it if my daughter, if it's the Lord's will for her to be a worship leader one day and be involved in ministry with her, or if she's in children's ministry or missionary, or whatever it is that God has them called to do spiritually, I would love to see that happen and help that take place and, and serve uh, with them in that. But Jesus knew who his real father was. He knew that Joseph wasn't his dad. I'm sure that he loved him. I'm sure that, as we see here in a minute, he listened to them and respected them. But he knew that his real father was God. And I'm sure he knew the rumors by age 12. You know, it's amazing what you know by age 12. You think back and you go, man, I even think back to being like 16 and what I was doing and what, how mature I thought I was. And I'm sure I'll look back to this day in a few years and think, man, what a fool. You know, you knew nothing because I don't. But man, you know, I'm sure he knew the rumors. I'm sure he heard and, you know, even had that doubt, you know, uh, but God assured him. God assured him who his real father was. You know, Jeremiah 1, 1 through 10 says, uh, the words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, and I'll skip forward a little bit for time. But he says, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am a youth, for you shall go to all whom I send you. And whatever I command you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. And he says, I, Behold, I put my words in your mouth. Um, you know, it goes on to say a few other things, but Jeremiah was a teenager. He was probably in his mid to late teens when this happened, from what I understand. You know, he says, but I'm a youth. But God says, you're the one I've chosen. Or Samuel, uh, we got our kids some more Superbook DVDs, and one of them is Samuel, and Mia loves it. And the little boy Samuel, God begins to speak to Samuel and gives him a prophecy about how the priests are going to be punished because uh, they've been very sinful. But no one's too young for that. Or even First Timothy 4.12, Paul says the... Uh, Timothy, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to believers in word and conduct and love and spirit and faith and purity. Timothy was in his 30s, maybe in his 40s, from what I understand again, that, you know, he's got these doubts. Hey, I'm a young guy. You've given me this church in Ephesus and people are, are probably going to doubt me. Again, maybe they may know more scripture than I do. They have more life experience than I do. But that's not what Paul would say. When God has called us to do something, it doesn't matter what our stature is. It doesn't matter what our age is. If God has done it, God has done it. But Jesus, again, back to him, he was 12 years old. He would start ministry roughly 18 years later when he was 30, and he would finish at age 33. You know, what were you and I doing at age 33? What were we doing at age 12, at 18, at 50, at 80, whatever age? What were we doing? I think about, man, the Lord did more in those three years than I think any of us have probably accomplished in our whole lives. And yet he says, we'll do greater works than that. I think of Paul, too, in Acts 20, 24 says, but none of these things move me. Nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God that we need to keep going and keep, no matter what our age, uh, pursuing the things of our Father. 
But uh, let's pick it up in verse 51 uh, in Luke 2. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. You know, he was subject to them. He obeyed his parents. I mean, think about that. You, you have a 12-year-old boy. This boy is God, and yet he obeys you. Jesus, take out the trash. Yes, Dad. Jesus, uh, you know, watch over your little brother James. Yes, Mom. Jesus, go to bed now. Stop talking. <laughs> yes, Dad. You know that this little child was subject to them, even though he was God. Even though he was God. And what a lesson there. Exodus 20, you know, talks about that obeying our father and mother, that their days may be long upon the earth. You know, it's not just think about that. <laughs> you know, the parents are going to whoop you and your days aren't going to be very long on the earth. But John 2 says, uh, 3 through 5, when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, you know, what is your concern enough to do with me? My hour is not yet come. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says, do you do it? You know, maybe she was a little overbearing. Maybe she just knew who he was and she was excited. Uh, but I also think maybe she was trying to cope with the adulthood of her children that, you know, as your kids grow up, it's you have to start letting them go. And, and I don't like the thought of that. Um, but that's, um, you know, a healthy thing at some time. But he was healing people and his uh, ministry. He was exercising demons. He was sending out his disciples. And about the same time he did this, uh, Mark 3.21 says, But when the people heard about this, they went out and lay hold of him. So they said, he's out of his, he's out of his mind. It says his own people. So his friends, his relatives, the people of his neighborhood said, Jesus has lost his mind. He's crazy. And John 7, 3 through 6 says, His brothers therefore said to him, Depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. And they really didn't believe him. It says, For his brothers did not believe him. And Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. You know, that his family, his friends, his relatives, his neighbors didn't believe it. Didn't believe it when Jesus the carpenter said, I'm stepping out of this and I'm following and I'm beginning my public ministry now. Even when he began to do things and God began to work through him, they didn't believe it. And I don't know if you've experienced it, but sometimes family, friends, and relatives, they don't always get it. Sometimes they rarely do when God is using you. They see the change in your life, but they don't quite get it. They still think of you as that two-year-old boy. They still think of you as that 15-year-old kid or that rebellious person or that adult who's messed up a million times. They, they can't seem to get by it. You know, Even Jesus' half-brother, James, didn't believe it. But we see that after the resurrection, he believed in. You know, If you read the book of James, you'll see just how much he believed it. But we see that that happened in Jesus' life, that, man, the people around him, just they didn't understand, they didn't fully grasp uh, that he was the Lord. But his mom did. His mom held it close in her heart, these things, when he was a little boy. And, um, you know, I think of some things my mom uh, would pray about for me as a kid and how she's held it in her heart and shared those things with me, which is a, a blessing. But let's get back to Matthew chapter 26 as we get on here. We continue looking at... Uh, the progression of Jesus' life here. Matthew 26, 36. And I'm sure you guys are all familiar with this. This is uh, after his be uh, betrayal, or just his betrayal has happened, but he hasn't been arrested yet. Uh, Matthew 26, 36. It says, Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. And then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. And he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. 
Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time, he went away and prayed, saying, O my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found uh, them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And in verse 39, he says, Not my will, but your will. You know, the will of his Father. This Father's business, Jesus at some point understood that this was the will of his Father, that he might be betrayed, that he might die at the cross. And, and he didn't necessarily want to do it, you know. Um, his betrayer was at hand. He knew that Judas was coming. And he went through with it. Jesus could have run away. Jesus knew what was happening. There was plenty of other woods for him to walk through. He had gotten away and escaped at other times. But he knew that this was going to happen. He knew that this was the right time, that his time had come. Um, but he stayed there because he loved and obeyed his father, no matter what. He loved his disciples too. But we see here, God, if there's another way, if, if, if there's another cup, or if I can pass this cup on, let there be another way. You know, there was this struggle in him. And I'm not saying it's a sinful struggle where he didn't want to obey his father, but he's like, he knew how agonizing it was. And um, there was, at least in his humanity, this uh, struggle, this weight of it. In Philippians 2, 3 through 11, you guys, I'm sure, are familiar with this. But, uh, you know, it says, Let each one of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being born, being in the form of God, excuse me, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him the name, which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord, to the glory of God the Father, that Jesus laid his life down. He was willing to be obedient, even when he knew that it meant the cross. Let's skip forward to uh, Gospel of John, verse nine, uh, chapter 19, verse 17. John nineteen seventeen. And it says, uh, And he, bearing his cross, went out to a place uh, called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him, and the two others with him, one on either side, and Jesus in the center. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Then many of the Jews read this title, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Therefore, everyone could read it. Therefore, the, the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews. But he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts, to each soldier a part and also the tunic. Now the tunic was without seam, woven from the top in one piece. They said, therefore, among themselves, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it. Uh, for whose it shall be that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says, They divided my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Again, we see scripture being fulfilled in his life, even in the way the soldiers uh, divvied up his possessions. Therefore, the soldiers did these things. Um, verse 25, 
Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother, and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, that's John, standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took uh, her to his own home. That even in this end time, he still cared about his mom. He wanted to make sure his mom was taken care of. He was cared about his friends and um, uh, just really just comforted his family even in his last moments before his death. And after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Um, now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up uh, his spirit. We see the pilot wrote the truth, that Jesus was the king, was the king of the Jews. And they wanted to say, he just said it. He's not really the king. But even Pilate knew that this guy was truly their king. Uh, whether he believed or acted on it after that, we don't know. But here we see that uh, he knew, in a sense, what Jesus' role was um, for the Jewish people. But he says that uh, knowing that all things were now accomplished, uh, he knew it. He was on the cross. He knew that, man, I've been obedient. This is what the Father had willed. I'm about to perish here. My blood is drained out. My body is destroyed. I'm taking my last final breaths here. He knew that it was finished. He knew it was uh, accomplished. Uh, and, uh, and I hope that, we know that when we're in that situation, hopefully not on a cross, but wherever God would have us be to obey as well, we would know that the time is finished, that we were, um, had accomplished it as he did. Because when he finished it, it was finished. It was over. It was done with, as we'll see here. And I'm just going to read Matthew 27, 46 through 53. Don't have to turn there. And he says, About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood there when they heard that said, This man is calling for Elijah. And immediately one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink. Then he said, Let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to save him. Uh, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, and yielded up his spirit. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. I love that. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went to the holy city and appeared to many. And there's a, you know, a whole study we can do in that section, but as these people mocked him, giving him this drink, hey, you know, let's see if Elijah comes to help him, because they didn't understand what he was saying. But Jesus' father turned his face away from him. He, he abandoned him on the cross. I mean, this tight-knit relationship they've had their whole life. Jesus' obedience to his father even meant that his father was going to turn away from him, that he'd be obedient even when he felt abandoned. And not about you or me, but when we feel abandoned, that's the last thing I want to do is be obedient. You know, they say that rules without relationship leads to rebellion. You know, if, if we felt like our earthly loved ones abandoned us, how, how often would we really be obedient to that but but he loved his father he knew that whatever his father was doing even in abandoning him was part of a, a good thing his father's will he knew his father knew best you know mark 16 you know he says to them as he's eating with them um, after his resurrection he says go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature he who believes and is baptized will be saved uh, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them, and they will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. And a lot of people have taken this out of context, some people don't even want it in the Bible. But it sounds a lot like Acts. It sounds like Jesus is describing a lot of things that are about to happen in Acts, that, uh, that we've read some and we'll continue to read more as time permits. But, 
You know, Jesus' work was to do what the Father wanted done. And what was that? People to be saved, healed, given an opportunity to come to God. Whether they did or not was, was really up to the people, but he gave them an opportunity. Uh, and that was God's will. And no matter the cost, Jesus was willing to give people that opportunity. And I wonder, you know, whose work are we about? How much opportunity are we willing to give when it costs us personally? And Jesus says some, some hard words here as we're about to close out in Luke 14, 27 through 33. It says, Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation is not able to finish it, all who see it will begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? You know, is he able to figure out a good game plan to beat the enemy? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. You know, these are hard words, and I don't think Jesus is, is meaning it to be hard, but I think it's a, it's a heavy reality that when we begin to follow the Lord, it's not meant to be a life of ease and comfort. Yeah, God is going to give us great blessings. I'm grateful that my kids have had a fantastic Christmas, and we had a fantastic Christmas, and we got to see our family and many others, but not everyone, it may not always be that way, and not everyone always gets that. Sometimes we have to go through hard seasons, and we have to be willing to say, God, you know, if there's another way... I love it, but if, if this is truly what you want, help me to be obedient to that, no matter the cost. And, um, and I think about, you know, in that sense, related to Christmas, as heavy as that is, as heavy as the message of the cross is, and the, the stark reality of being a, a disciple sometimes, um, you know, in the light of Christmas, you know, what gift can we really bring Jesus? What gift can we really bring him? Um, you know, I think about my kids, you know, uh, we got all these Legos from our family and we bought them a bunch of Legos and they're out on the floor. We have photos, the whole floor is covered in Legos. And, uh, you know, Jacob, his diaper didn't really hold up and it ended up being all over the gifts and we had to wash them and clean them. And not the ones that are in there, they're still separated, so don't worry. <laughs> but you think about that, what gift can we really bring to God? God just gives us things and what really ability do we have other than making a mess of everything and then God has to clean it up you know what gift can we really bring can we ever make something worthy enough to bring to God after we see all that he went through for us and it's not all we can do is really just accept the gift and really say God whatever your will is for my life that's it that's got to be it that's the only gift God wants us to bring is just our willingness to give him our hearts and our lives because um you know my daughter got, has this little hard hat and these little safety goggles and they're so cute and she's got the little saw and Jacob has this lawnmower and she likes to push them around and I think that that's really like us, you know, uh, you know, she looks so cute and we love it. But if she showed up to a work site with her little toy hard hat on and her little safety goggles that have no lenses in it, we would say, no way, get out of here. Not only are you a little kid, but you're not protected. And I think sometimes when we dress ourselves up, when we pry and make ourselves presentable to the Lord and fit for his service and our own strength, God just kind of chuckles and says, it's not going to work. It's not going to work that way. You know, we really have to go about uh, total dependence on him. And that's all that he wants from us is just to be totally dependent on him. That's the only gift he asks us to come is bring our hearts and we say, God, we need you. We need you. But when, when we do see these signs, when we do see the things pointing to Jesus and pointing to God's will in our lives, are we going to be like those wise men? Are we going to follow that sign to the word and, uh, and to the king? You know, and will we give our all? Will we say, yeah, you don't believe me. That's okay. I'm going to keep going. Yeah, you think I'm crazy for believing in Jesus. I'm going to keep going. Uh, but as we see with the Lord and he's resurrected 
and that he's got to, if we continue reading the scriptures, that there's a promise of heaven and a new life, uh, that his father's business, he prepared in a carpenter masonry sort of way, a new place for us to live, um, that he promised that for us, that we can be about his business, that whatever we do in life, whether we're a teacher or uh, we work in the world or whether we're a stay-at-home mom and we raise our kids, which I think is the most important job um, out there in society, um, in a sense that we have to be about his business. That it's okay if we do all these other things, but our primary goal, our primary aspect should be about our father's business. Why? Because not only did he give us a gift of his son, but he gave us freedom and he gave us salvation. And uh, I think, in a sense, anything less just wouldn't be worth it. Anything less wouldn't uh, be worth it to him. And it really would just kind of be, in a sense, we'd be, we would just be mocking him, saying, God, you gave me all this. How can I uh, finagle my way and give you less? And, and thankfully, he knows how hard that struggle is. He knows how hard it is to where he bled, uh, sweat, um, sweat blood, and I forget the name of that condition where it comes out, but he knows the stress that goes into sometimes making these decisions uh, to be obedient to the Father. And, and it's not always that way. Sometimes it's, it's simple obedience. Sometimes it's easy. And, and I think the Lord would, would have it be that way more often than not for us and want to help us through it. Um, like when my kids clean up, I want to help them clean up. You know, I don't think they need to, to have the burden of cleaning it all up. They just kind of need to learn the principle. And I think that that's the same way of the Lord with us. But um, sometimes things are going to be hard. Sometimes things, we're not going to get everything we want for Christmas, and we still kind of need to rejoice in that. But, uh, Lord, we're thankful that you came, and we're grateful that, Lord, you love us, and that, God, you took on the heavy burden of the cross, and the heavy burden of our sin, and our shame, and our wickedness, God, and you gave us the free gift of, of new life, that we could be free from that, Lord, and we thank you for that. And, and God, while this, maybe this message turned out to be heavier than, than it should have been, God, we know that, Lord, you are our strength, you're the one who can lift us up, and and God, we ask that uh, be, you'd help us to be obedient, whether it's an easy thing or a hard thing, that, God, we would rely on you and not try and dress ourselves up in, in our self-righteousness, God, but that we would confess our sin to you and ask you to clothe us in, in your righteousness, God, because everything else is just its just not effective. It's just not going to work. But, God, we ask that you come back soon. We ask that you would use us and minister to us and uh, begin to go out and, and reach others around us. God, help us to, to really be your ambassadors of light. And we ask it, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.